Hey everyone, this is Like Trees Walking. It's always a better show when the microphone is facing at your mouth instead of away from it. We just learned that, didn't we? Dave? We are, you know, we, we are constantly learning, evolving, changing, growing. We, you know, we're like Pokemon, Mike. Is it Pokemon always growing and changing and evolving? Yeah, yep. Is Pokemon a thing? I thought it was a bunch of things. Pokemon is a game. Well, it's a cartoon and then a game like a card game where you play it and, you know, your your little uh, Pokemon creatures, uh, there's various versions of them, you know, Charmander, Jigglypuff, uh, uh, Pikachu, uh, they, um, Detective Pikachu even. <laughs> sure. Um, that, you know, they gain experience and they evolve into a, a higher, more advanced form. Wow. Okay. Well, that's what we're doing. We're Pokemoning it up. Uh, and you know what? The theme is you got to catch them all. Wow. I've learned a lot already. Already worth the price. And I love, okay, Mike, and this is, <laughs> for the folks playing at home, this is also interesting knowledge. You, uh, know, you keep they, talking they and I'm going to adjust your microphone. They did a very okay. creative name for the main character who's, uh, whose job it is is to like, or he's the main human character in the show. And his name is Ash, and his last name is Ketchum. So if you had any, uh, if you had any mystery at all about what his, what his job was, it was to catch Pokemon Ash Ketchum. Oh, I thought it was Ash Ketchup, and I was like, that <laughs> that does raise other questions for me. It's a disgusting condiment. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell everyone, uh, now that we got Pokemon out of the way, what the show is and who we are? One last Pokemon thing. Oh, God. My One of my favorite moments from the 2016 campaign was the, like, Hillary Clinton, when she goes, we should get everyone to poke- play Pokemon Go. Pokemon go to the polls and it was oh. <laughs> oh my gosh it was just it was it was a brilliant moment oh. I, so now I uh, every election I I which there's only been two I guess since then the, the, but I'll go like everyone make sure you po- on my social media Pokemon go to the polls today it so, doesn't even uh, oh I love it oh it's it so make any sense. oh it's so good <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just love it. And there was like churches. This is so churches are so we're so desperate for like interaction with people that like there was churches like trying to make themselves Pokemon Go uh like oh, stations. Really? Where, yeah, during the, during the height of the frenzy. Yeah, the height of the frenzy. So it's like, can we offer like water or like you know back rubs to these Pokemon Go players who are coming oh. to our churches? Like you know, there's. That's a firm foundation exactly. upon which to build. Exactly. There's only the real one who's going to catch you. I'll make you Pokemon. <laughs> oh, boy. Get, okay, anyway. All right. Enough <laughs> with that. Enough with that. This is Like Trees. I'm David Berge. You are Michael J. Nelson. We yes. are, together, we are Like Trees Walking. Yes. It's not just a show. It's become an entity. Um, so we are Like Trees Walking when we are together. Um, we embody this show as yeah. a collective, like Voltron. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, it's the show where we talk about the big questions, life, theology, faith, morality, um, God and man and war. And, uh, and uh, we do it from a Christian perspective. Uh, we hope that you find these conversations interesting, enlightening, elucidating, thought-provoking in the best possible way, and uh, regardless of your perspective. Right? Very well done. Wow. We're getting it down, finally. This is show number 416. No, it's, it's season four, show 16, a thing we regret. We, we named it after seasons for some reason. When do we get, when is, when do you go into syndication perpetually? Is it five seasons or four seasons? What do you have to have? I think you want to have, uh, 70 plus shows. So I don't know. Oh, if we're, that's... I think we're past that. Okay. We're syndicatable then. Okay. All right. 
uh, call uh, Fremulon Media and get us on the uh, the Friends kind of uh, circulation. We'll be on uh, we'll be on uh, Channel Forty Five uh, here in the Twin right. Cities forever. Right. So we're gonna get to our big topic uh, anon very soon. And then uh, later we have a special surprise, a, uh, a gripping story from the pastor, a brush, a brush with fame, maybe even more than oh, a brush. more than a brush. More than a brush with fame from the pastor. But uh, let's dive into our main topic. Pastor, you got one loaded in the chamber, ready to go. I got one locked. Okay. I got one loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, this is so, this is something, I, I know I talked about it at church. I don't actually think that I've talked about this on the show, but I remember sort of I think I did talk about it. 2016 seems so long ago. But um so I'm always interested in uh I'm interested in public theology in the wild and and we could do a bigger definitely a bigger um a bigger show on this. I think it merits it. But I just want to touch on an example uh example briefly cuz I I obviously in even recent episodes have displayed uh an interest in the uh in in the faith commitments of our uh, of our uh, public leaders or sort of what is the evidence or data that backs that up i i found that very interesting that was itself a provocative show got lots of man people were really into it or a couple people really thought not, was like what so are you, do- you what are you doing <laughs> you idiot uh, but that's okay you know it's fine you yes. can't you can't please all the people all the time and so i just want to talk about the things i find interesting in a way that i hope is uh Makes <laughs> makes sense. It doesn't make me sound like a moron, but you never know. You got to risk. You got to shoot your shot, man. You got to shoot your shot. That's right. I'm sure there are more times than not where people think that I'm a moron. So uh, you know, why not you join my club? I'm, <laughs> I'm in the club, and so. Uh, uh, but but anyway, so this is a public theology. So people bringing uh, Christian uh, faith, scripture. Um, theological, you know, ethical arguments to bear, Christian ethical arguments to bear on issues of contemporary significance. Mm-hmm. And one of those, it's, it's, a, it's a hot topic. And again, I'm not, um, I think I'll make my sort of, I'll make all my caveats and make everything clear as I talk about this. But this example comes from, so one of the hot topics du jour, of course, is immigration in our country. And I'd say yeah, that's actually one of the ones where you see um, sort of, uh, I call it sort of Bible darts, almost like biblical arguments. I'm putting arguments in quotes, sort of proof texting, maybe even more going between those who support, let's say, a more restrictive immigration policy and those who would favor a less restrictive or more, uh, you know, like, uh, so sort of let everyone come in type of open border, open borders, you know, between the hawks and the doves, you could say immigration hawks and sure. doves. And uh, this Example, it, it came up in the news again recently. This is, we are uh, recording this in the year of our Lord, uh, 2019. It's the summer, but it, it's, it's an evergreen example. I think if you sort of, whenever you plop yourself down in history, you'll see this type of thing happening. But, uh, the, the, it was first uttered. And so this, this person, he's a, um, He's a, a pastor who's also a, a big supporter of, uh, of the current uh, occupant of the White House. And so he is uh, frequently making the same argument. And, and this guy's name is, he's a, a pastor from, um, uh, uh, I think, Dallas, First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. His name okay. is Robert Jefferson. And so uh, he will frequently, you know, go on to kind of defend uh, the policies of the current administration. And this one particularly regards the wall. I do have a sound clip of him that I did have queued up, and, and that was a f- nice 45-second sound clip. It, it disappeared. Should I take time to find it, Mike, or just su- give it a summary? No, well, let's, we'll take time to find it. You, we will be back immediately. It will be seamless to the uh, to the people listening, and uh, as the pastor uh, fumbles the ball, but uh, let's see if he can recover it, and I we'll be it. back in just a moment. We'll actually be back, you know, 
one second from now. So here we go. Pause. See, we're back. Oh I yeah, we're back. Okay. Why. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Go. So this is uh so this comes from uh this is a, a segment uh on the Fox News channel. It was a debate though, uh between two 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 figures with a moderator in the middle. You know, one of these talking head of course. panels we've got the we've all seen them. The, the 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 person on the right, the person on the left, the moderator in the middle. If you've been to an airport, you've been forced to see oh, them. <laughs> CNN in the airport. Is there anything oh. that you love more than just watching? Oh. And it's like I have nothing. You know, I think smartphones have helped and like iPads, but still, I find myself staring at that earplugs in a book, baby. Yeah, it's the only way. All right, so you, you'll 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 get in it. This is Robert Jeffress giving his commentary uh, right uh, now, and this is from January. Actually, this is Dateline, January tenth. Mm. 2019. So, all right, here we go. Mr. Jeffress, what do you make of this comment by Pelosi that somehow walls are immoral? Well, it's absolutely absurd. You know, the Bible teaches that the primary responsibility of government is to maintain order and keep its citizens safe. And there's nothing wrong with using a wall to do that. I remind people that God used a wall. He told Nehemiah to build a wall around Jerusalem to keep citizens safe. The Bible says even heaven itself is going to have a wall around it. Not everybody's going to be allowed in. So if walls are immoral, then God is immoral. There's nothing immoral about a wall, but... All right, there we go. Okay. There we go. Okay. So a lot going on there. So I just want to unpack it. And okay. so, all right. So the question is, and, and, and so we're going to sort of move to a higher level of beyond and above this specific issue. And I want to address particularly, so um, several statements made, right? The primary job of the government, one of, you know, in scripture, keep uh, their citizens safe and secure. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, yes. The security and safety of a of a citizenry, people who are in positions of of uh, authority, like yeah, indu- like I think that's uh, in. I'm not ch- going to challenge that premise whatsoever. Okay. So that one stands. Yep, that one stands. Okay, keep, keep your citizens safe and secure. There's nothing inherently immoral about walls or barriers. You know, uh, Nehemiah rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. Yeah, you. I'm not going to, I, barriers like walls, security, that type of thing. I won't challenge that. Premise. Okay. That Let's stands. Move. That, that stands that All right. a wall itself could be, could be a good thing. Could mm-hmm. be a bad thing. You know, like the, the, the could, could be a source of safety and security. Uh, could be like, you know, something in the, uh, you know, in the, um, uh, the ghettos, you know, when they put walls around the Jewish ghettos in Poland and that sort of a thing, you know, sort of keeping closed in or uh, in South Africa when the townships were enclosed behind walls. Those yeah. are, <laughs> those are, in my estimation, immoral walls. But the, how about Pink Floyd's The Wall? Is that, uh, what does the Bible have to say about Pink Floyd's The Wall? You know, Ro- I know Roger Waters. I don't think he's a big God guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I say The Wall, and I've never been a Floyd The Wall fan. Nor have I. I do like the uh, oh, Dark Side of the Moon. Do you really? I do like the Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, my God. I think it was just the time in my life when it came around. You're way too young for that. Yeah, but it was like kind of cool, like the whole concept of Wizard of Oz. and. <laughs> okay, that's you know? a true event. All right, sorry. I got us off track. It's I, I my thought, fault. I, I thought that was cool. But when when it comes back to it, so it's how do we, you know, the last sort of point, which is um, I remind people that heaven itself is going to have a wall around it. Um, sort of using scripture in that way, uh, to me, is a, um, it's a cheapening of scripture 
within its argument. Now, of course, we're on, you could say, the format itself of sort of uh, uh, TV TV shows, um, these kind of talking head debates thing. Maybe that's de- beneath sort of any robust, like, theological conversation you can have. But I still think as a pastor, you have a a responsibility um, in the way that you bring Scripture into the public forum. And so it's a ref- this is a reference to Revelation, uh, I think Revelation 20 or 21, talking about the new Jerusalem, which descends from heaven like a bride, and it's talking, the, the walls are described as, you know, I mean, there are these glorious things made of all of these beautiful, uh, you know, precious stones or whatever. And, you know, in, in, it, it, uh, it, it has a gate that will never shut either. It's also a description of the new Jerusalem. So just being fair, uh, you know, if you're just being fair, it's like, well, th- this characteristic of, of the new, new Jerusalem, it doesn't just have these amazing, beautiful walls, but it also has this wide open gate uh, that will never be closed. So it's like, it's, it, to me, it's just sort of stupid when you're making this, our, this, this reference to heaven having a wall, that this somehow has a, has a bearing on um, our contemporary public policy debate. It's much more so the fact where you can think about, um, you know, the responsibilities of Christian understanding of the responsibilities of government, the Christian understanding of the responsibility of our authorities and rulers. And, you know, Jeffress is making this argument too, saying, well, you know, uh, kind of a dis- dispute between one body of elected authorities and then the executive of our government. Like, that's a whole different, actually, even style of government than we see in Scripture. So that makes the, it makes the theological, ethical challenge even harder, how we inform that, because we don't just, you know, the, the biblical governments were sort of, not, not sort of, uh, they were, you know, chieftainships or what, what we would consider a, a monarchy. Uh, but so you have a unitary executive with all of these other sort of all of these other tribal chieftains that they're working along with and so how do we make the move from that kind of political arrangement to a contemporary nation state a uh, a, a constitutional democracy with competing uh, branches of government co-equal right branches of government and in fact uh, i think there's lots of people who would argue that even the congress those elected representatives in the house of representatives and the senate are actually the legislative branch of our government is the superior branch of our government and so whose will counts as what who gets to do what whose role i mean so th- that there's a lot more nuance and complexity that has to come into this conversation when we're doing it and so i want to help people think um have a process maybe for how you can do this when we're, when we're trying to think theologically um, from a Christian ethical perspective about these issues, what is the way that we can do that? How can scripture inform our moral vision? Well, you probably don't want to start at revelation, right? <laughs> I mean, this is thorny. This is highly oh, yeah. symbolic. This is a apocalyptic writing, right? Is Absolutely. Is the technical term for yes, it? Yes, yes, yes. So yes. starting there to make a parallel to modern government is, is quite a leap. Yes, it, 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 yes, it is. I mean, you know, Jesus has a, a sword coming out of his mouth. These are like, this is, this is, people, um, love the book of Revelation because it's so packed with imagery and it's so, um, I mean, it, 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 it in a, I think in a, in a beautiful way, it, it kind of makes people think about sim- symbolism and imagery and meaning and um and it invites your imagination into it in a way that's really really powerful but it also i think tends to get people going off the deep end and going crazy it um, gets people to make bad movies with arnold schwarzenegger about it yes uh, what was that the uh, 
a thousand years or something like that. I don't know. I don't even know. I think he beat up the devil, like actually had a fist fight with the devil in it. But I think it was based on his discovering something in Revelation. Yes. So I just want to, uh, when I think about how could you do this better or what's a more responsible um, a re- more responsible way to do this. Uh, my mind immediately goes to something I don't know if I've talked about on the show before. I don't think I have, but uh, if I have, it bears repeating, and it's been a long time. And this is a, br- a brilliant book that was written in the mid-1990s by, uh, he's now retired, but he was a New Testament professor at Duke Divinity School, uh, a man by the name of Richard Hayes, and he wrote a book called The uh, Moral Vision of the New Testament. And so he outlines a process by saying, hey, this is my suggestion over how we engage in, in moral and ethical thinking using the New Testament. And, and, and it, to me, it applies to the—he's uh, just writing in his area of expertise because he's a New Testament scholar trying to not step outside of his lane. I think it applies to—you can apply it to the entirety of Scripture. Sure. Um, and so he says there's, there's a, a, a threefold task for your New Testament—for your ethics when you're thinking ethically as a Christian. So— this applies to all of these issues. He says the first is descriptive. Uh, so we want to uh, read and assemble and read the relevant, the relevant text um, carefully. So we want to do careful exegetical work. So if we're talking about something about immigration, uh, you know, then we, what are the, what are the texts? We have to ask this question. What are the texts that are relevant to that conversation? Certainly we could say that the relevant texts are ones about the role of uh, role and authority of government or rulers. We can say that, uh, uh, you know, areas where uh, relationships between Israel and the nations and ask that question of uh, in what way does that special relationship between the biblical people of God apply to us, who as Americans, we, you know, kind of consider ourselves the new chosen people, but we are not. Um, but how might the relationships between the nations inform some of our reading? And then also thinking in the New Testament um, and thinking about even, you know, Nehemiah, the role, you know, cities, all that sort of thing. What might that play? But then also there's the biblical conversation about the relationship between the people of God and the stranger, the sojourner, the alien in their midst. The New Testament, you know, kind of uh, uh, Jew and Gentile becoming one. These are, to me, are all relevant texts that we have to read carefully, do our best, best exegetical work to try to understand what they say. Right. So how do you begin to do that, though, with something as thorny? I mean... You, you got to do your homework. You just start looking up uh, foreigner, looking up... I, I mean, is there a... I, I uh, think it's... I mean, I think this... You can see that this is not a task for the faint of heart. Yeah. This yeah, takes, it seems huge. Yeah. This, so this is huge. So a huge question, a huge conversation like this requires serious work and serious con- and conversation. And there's going to be a dispute over what are the relevant texts. But I can tell you what the solution is not, is throwing Bible darts back and forth. Sure. To say, well, heaven's got a wall. Well, what about the alien and the sojourner and the stranger in our midst? You know, and we're supposed to be kind. It's like, okay, how are we going to think theologically given all of these things? And so Hayes says this, the next task, he says, is synthetic. You, you bring these biblical texts that you found that speak into this, you bring them into conversation. You, 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 you do your best work um, in community and <laughs> prayerfully in the power of the Holy Spirit, humbly, uh, to try to come up with some sort of synthetic vision of, of what does this say or what are possibilities? Um, you know, what are our range of possibilities given what these texts have to say to us? Um, you know, which itself is challenging work. You know, right. you have a, a chorus of voices in Scripture that are 
coming from their own angle, speaking to particular situations. And so you say, how, 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 how does, what song is this chorus trying to get me uh, to sing? And so, you know, you're bringing all of these texts in, in conversation uh, together. And then the last task is application. Right. How then shall we live? Yeah. Which is also extremely challenging um, and, and is not flip and is not a soundbite um, and, and is not something that, uh, you know, it, not something that's easy to do. And so all that to say, you know, kind of the, 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 the worst thing that we can do is, is just proof text or just engage in what's called, you know, eisegesis, which is just kind of getting scripture to say whatever, whatever I want it to say, it's mm-hmm. going to say, because uh, 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 a text without context is a pretext, is, 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 is an old saying. And I think it's true. So I think if we go along at least with Richard Hayes, some kind of suggestion, suggestion. let's find the text, let's do our best exegetical work to understand what they meant. Uh, we bring them together to try to see, is are there a coherent sort of um, understanding we can bring, uh, a, a synthetic biblical understanding, and then how we apply that to our contemporary situation, because the, those situations are, are different. The situation at the you know southern border of the United States, uh, or the southern border of Mexico, even is different than you know when you're talking about immigration and borders and all that sort of thing. It's different than the situation that existed in Israel during the Second Intifada, say you know where 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 there there's no sort of hard and fast solution. Um, and so when we think about walls and barriers uh, in this world and immigration and the role of foreigners in our country. Um, and and the welcome that we should offer or not these are uh these are big questions that require really really careful thoughtful um i think pastoral uh uh responses that and that kind of work doesn't fit uh, well and it doesn't map well onto um political entertainment in the 21st century but in that way so for that reason uh i think as Christian voices, we should avoid sort of playing into, you know, the the agenda of CNN or Fox or the news media is not the church's agenda. The way that they want us to communicate is not the way that the church is supposed to communicate. How they want us to communicate is shrill, pick both sides, you know, uh, sort of embrace debate. It's like if you've ever watched Skip Bayless and that show First Take, you know, him and Stephen A. Smith, it was just like, <laughs> here is Joe Flacco, an elite quarterback, and argue over it. Yeah, and that's because it's entertaining to see people fight. Yeah, there were uh, years ago. I was asked to be a. Uh, they were trying to work out Jesse Ventura's show. Do you remember? Oh, uh, I've definitely like oh I on TV. It, I don't know that it ever made air, but they kept they put a bunch of money into him. I don't know. If people, we probably know more about him here in Minnesota, but Jesse Ventura, former governor, former wrestler. Former. Uh, he was an actor. I mean, action star. An actor. He was uh, acted with. Uh, um, with Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah, and Predator, right? In fact, I have been ruled by two of the cast members of Predator. <laughs> I was I was under uh, Jesse Ventura's authority here in Minnesota, and then I moved to California under Schwarzenegger's my, authority. My candidating sermon that I gave at the church in Ojai, California, where I was associate pastor, I said, we're happy to be living in California. No, I only want to live in states that are governed by people who are in the movie The Predator. That's right. Crickets when I said that one. <laughs> oh, just crickets. It was like my first statement 
<laughs> Nobody laughed. Oh, dear. Uh, I was like, there, hey, was, oh, boy. there was another guy, uh, Bill Duke. I believe he ran for an office. He was the, uh, the bald uh, black gentleman. Oh. And he, was, he, was, he lost his office. I was going to have to move there. <laughs> and then Sonny, who was the, I believe they portrayed him as a Native American guy. He was all wise and mystical. <laughs> Um, he also ran for office. Really? Yes. Oh. But his was a smaller office, and that would have been a tougher move. Anyway, the point being, I went on this stupid show where Jesse Ventura was going to argue points, and they said, "Would you? do you have an opinion about this in the pre-interview? And I forget, it was, maybe it was like marijuana or something. I'm like, yeah, I guess I, I mean, I don't feel strongly about it. And they're like, well, come on down and we'll do this. And then when I got there, they said, hey, we found another person to have your point of view, so can you switch points of view? <laughs> They said that. Yeah. I was like, well, I, I can, but I'm just going to make jokes then because I'm not going to. And they said, do whatever, just do that. And so now I have a different opinion about it. <laughs> Does this exist? And I said, is this, um, is this normal? He's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> so this is crazy. Yeah. They just, just fight. Just get on the air and fight. I don't care what your opinion is. Oh, I love it. Does yeah. this, do you have the tape of this buried somewhere? I don't. I don't. Yeah. Did it air, or was this just a pilot? This was; these were like test pilots. They they had a whole studio, and they just tried to get Jesse Ventura to work for like six months. They just burned through money, and I I, I don't think it ever made air at all. Well, he was because he was you know relatively successful as a he was like the morning show host right on on the sports station KFAN here. It was yeah yeah okay. And I, I feel never like that was his that. platform. I never listened to but it. But then he had a show. He got into conspiracy theories. Oh, he's a nut. And he'd have, and it was always. I watched one of them as uh, as a lark with my writers once, and he's it's like, "Are you telling me there's a secret board of people who run the entire world?" <laughs> <laughs> as though that's a plausible. Yes, I'm telling you that. Wow, well, that's fascinating. He's he's not skeptical about it at all. Have you ever hunted man? The ultimate prey. <laughs> oh, Jesse, oh, you are missed. I know that was uh, that was a wild times. Yeah, here in the state of uh, uh, in the state of Minnesota, but yeah, that 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 uh, this embrace debate, I, I think that uh, that uh, even though it's most crassly and crudely seen on uh, first shows like First Take or uh, I, I don't know, pardon the interruption, whatever, yeah, like yeah. that that um, that exact same format is applied to every other thing, and that does not um, lend itself to uh, Christian discourse. Yeah. And so it sounds like what your uh, author there is saying is almost, you know, you got to do a term paper before you can even, uh, you know, arrive at the conclusion. We need term papers. We need symposia. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's too highfalutin. We need councils. Uh, maybe yeah. that's too highfalutin for you. But sorry, that's sort of how we do stuff. And uh, if that doesn't fit into the embrace debate hot take format, you know, um, that is a indictment of the format itself, not of there's nothing that not christian theology and how it's supposed to take place right one final thing about that i have a theory that you know with all the big data and and all the information about physiology and psychology i'm pretty sure those shows know what the rhythm is of when to make people sort of angry like is it is it like two and a half minutes where you got to give them a real punch in the gut like make sure you say something that makes them mad and then then sort of taper off, but make sure that that rhythm goes up and down. And, and I'm sure they have it just timed out. You know, don't put the commercial there. Move the commercial and have another punch in the gut here. Get them really howling mad. And then we'll come back and then we'll relax them a little bit. That's my theory, that they have it down to some sort of science. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're absolutely right. 
Yeah. And then sell them a reverse mortgage. A little dopamine, yes. <laughs> and then Joe Namath with a meta, medical alert bracelet or something. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, uh, let's take a little break. And when we come back, a uh, fascinating, uh, not, not just brush with fame, actual encounter with fame itself from uh, the pastor, David Berge. We'll be back in just a second. Hey everyone, it is Pastor Dave here. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this show, for supporting Like Trees Walking. Oh, we have an exciting announcement even coming up very, very soon. I'm not sure. I'm just going to tease it. I'm not sure when I can drop it. Uh, but let's just say uh, you might be able to see us in the flesh. That's all I'm going to say. That's a real obvious teaser. But <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. Uh, if you could be so kind, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, uh, as we colloquially will call it. Uh, you can also find us on the socials um, uh, at LTW Pod, um, or like Trees Walking Facebook page. And uh, that's where we will uh, kind of disseminate this very important announcement and information that we have coming. And as always, you can check out ltwpod.com for all of our old episodes. So thank you for listening, for supporting, uh, for sharing, for cheering us on, uh, for yelling at us as we're saying something and you're listening to us on your headphones. We appreciate it. All right, let's get back to it. And we are back. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for that thoughtful, your own exegesis on the the topic of uh, bringing theology into the public square. My my sort of cultural exegesis that I just engaged. Bible darts. Is that your own term? You know, I first heard it from a uh, professor of mine at at Princeton Theological Seminary, one of my New Testament professors, Shane Berg. Oh, shout out. Very close, Shane. Shane, Shane once, uh, Shane's going to be on the show at some point. Oh, he good. agreed to be a guest. Yeah. Oh, great! Just gotta, just gotta get him to answer that email. So, all right, <laughs> Shaneberg fans out there, a little <laughs> teaser for you. Yeah. Um. And uh, now we teased it before. Uh, this is fascinating stuff. You had an actual rubbing elbows with the famous. I wish we had a theme song for it. Uh, is there a song called "Rubbing Elbows with the Famous"? I know we'd have to like rub our elbows together. Yeah, I don't know. He's actually the pastor's actually doing that, as though you can <laughs> hear that, people. <laughs> that is quality podcast entertainment. <laughs> so, uh, pastor, take it away. This is yours to uh, just bring it home. Well, friends, I told you about my encounter with fame, acting with the great Oded Fair. Um, well, you can see him, and he was in just. His most recent project, I believe, was a Hulu project with one of Mike's favorites, Sean Penn. Oh, Pappy. <laughs> Pappy Pariah. It's like Pappy a space. Pariah. It's like a going into space show that he just did with Sean Penn. Oh, okay. So Oded had to go into space with Pappy. All right. I'm sure. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if he, Sean Penn gave him his book. Are you excited for his Bob, Bob Honey, the follow-up book? Yeah, well. I think that's dropping soon. Very soon. So. Yeah. I'm, I think you're going to have to read it. <laughs> I'm not reading that That's thing. What, yeah. I'm not coming within yeah. 500 feet of that. Um, but anyways, so uh, this one um, is another opportunity that I got to act with a, a Hollywood, um, an obscure Hollywood legend. But an a, obscure Hollywood legend? Yes. I don't know if that's Well, so. it's like, um, it's like, <laughs> how do I say it? He was famous, 
like people know who he is. Okay. But they probably didn't know his name. Oh, okay. So because he was uh, most famous for his role. As can we play a guessing game of who it is? No, this will take forever. <laughs> we'll never get it. No. Okay, so he's a legend. He's but a legend. You won't know his name. Yes, we know it's a man, though. Yes, it it would be like if um, like the girl, if there was like a real person who was like the Morton Salt girl. Oh, okay. So like, uh, it's before your time, Mister Whipple. Yeah. He was don't was, squeeze the Charmin, I believe. Yes. It's just a guy, just a nebbishy guy in glasses admonishing people not to squeeze toilet paper while they went to the store. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Along those same lines as very, Mr. Whipple. Or, okay, so or that even is the a like, legend. Even the like, can you hear me now? Oh, that guy who who a turncoat. Oh, he is a what apostate. a what, what a Benedict Arnold. Yeah, he went to uh from Verizon, Verizon to, to Sprint. Sprint. Yeah. The enemy camp. Well, the guy's got to make money. Yeah. Sort of like a if Jared Fogle had not been. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, whose I, name must not be. Must not ever be spoken. Good heavens. Um, no, but uh, so I'm talking about a man by the name of John Bennett Perry. So John Bennett Perry, most famous, probably most people would know him. And you have to be of a certain age. Uh, and I'm I'm a little too young to know who he was. But, but people older than me by just a bit know him. And he was the Old Spice captain. Oh, sure. I mean, a very, so I know I've gone back and watched commercials since. A very handsome, you know, man. Very, very. And, and a man of action. Yes. I, I see him thro- slinging a canvas bag over his shoulder as he came out of like a shed by, this, by, by a port, a busy port filled with high masted ships. Yes. And he had his blue pea jacket on, I believe. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And so. just jaw just chiseled out of granite so i mean he was like a that's an iconic advertising figure right it was it was a huge thing yeah i mean he was a yeah he was a giant in his world and 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 his and his greatest role uh but um he happened he just so happened and let me just say the guy is a true mensch i mean a truly a fabulous human being really nice very he was so nice to me um and so fun to work with a a a girl who was in my youth group or her family went to our church she was making a student film you know she was like 19 years old at the time adapting some southern short story okay how, how i used to work at the po or something i think was the name of the short story and she adapted it into a, a, a short film and a family friend of hers was the john bennett perry um who also famous for being the father of someone really 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 famous this is a legitimately famous i mean this guy is an icon iconic character probably one of the wealthiest men in hollywood oh i mean you're making a million bucks an episode and you're doing a 20 episode run for like you know i mean this guy and the think about his residuals oh the residuals. oh man. oh my gosh this that guy show has... is still like raking in the money <laughs> yeah i saw some staggering figure about it the other day it's just still like Nearly a billion dollars a year or something like that. As you would say, Mike, he has more money than Croesus. That's right. (laughs) And so uh, I'm talking, of course, about Chandler Bing. Chandler Bing. Could I be any more rich? (laughs) Uh, uh, Matthew Perry himself. Who I I rehearse, I'm not telling any tales out of school, who uh, John Bennett affectionately referred to as Maddie. Oh, Maddie. It's Maddie. You know, oh, we're... We're yeah. just so proud of Maddie. We, we just are so proud of Maddie. He, had, he you know, he was a, a doting father. He loved his son. And so John Bennett and I were in this um, adaptation. I was a... I played a, uh, a overalls-wearing drunk. 
mm-hmm. kind of a typecast. <laughs> I was a hundred percent typecast, uh, part of this family uh, with John Bennett Perry, and so we got to act together. I still have a DVD copy of this somewhere. It was like a like a like a like a twelve minute. Did you bring it? No, I didn't we bring it. We could have had audio. Your you know your oh, performance. Oh my my huh? performance. My performance was uh, left something to be desired. Uh, did did, uh, did he have tips for you? No, he had no tips. He, he didn't just, coach you. No, he just he laughed at. Like when I was so bad, he would just laugh. <laughs> he just enjoyed, he enjoyed seeing us try, you know. He yeah. was, and he was just a very supportive guy. He also was a, he did have a cameo role on the show Friends. What did he do? He came. Uh, my wife is my my wife knows all the episodes. I can always go, Amy. What was the episode? And she goes, oh well, this happened on this show. I think I can remember it. So, Amy, I'm going to remember what happened on this show. Rachel was dating. Joshua at this point, I believe. And she goes to, he's like staying with his parents and she is in some like, you know, sexy lingerie and the parents come home. And that was Mr. Perry. And Mr. Perry was the parents who come home when Rachel's in Joshua's parents' apartment, like all scantily clad and they come in and then she pretends that like this kind of negligee she's wearing is just an outfit. Wow. Well, he probably made more money off of that than even from the Old Spice <laughs> captain. I mean, just that, because it's probably replayed like 600 times since he filmed it. Yeah, so it's not a huge role, but it's a, it's a it, he's a speaking part Yeah, on the show. Uh, Pappy Pariah was also on. He's, he's also... It was. Oh, he he's was on, on Friends. Friends. He's a recurring character on Friends. Uh, didn't Brad Pitt, my wife, told me the other day, and I denied it uh, i don't know why i would challenge her on anything like this but uh that brad pitt met jennifer aniston on friends no yes i thought they he, were already together he had a role that's what she claimed and i believe i looked it up and i believe it was correct i thought because he would played um he played a kid what i remember is he played a kid who used to be fat in high school and so he hated rachel oh like that was his character trait because she was the popular cool one and he was the fat you know like loser and so he hated Rachel, which wow. was, we were all laughing, I thought, because, and now I didn't watch Friends when it was going on until very much later in the show when um, my then girlfriend, now wife, then fiance, now wife, made me watch with her. To my delight, honey. Thank you for bringing that joy into my life. And uh, we thought so it was funny. So I, your ex-girlfriend. My, she is my ex-girlfriend. Yes. Okay. And my ex-fiance, <laughs> my former fiance. Right. Now wife. Um, <laughs> yes. But, uh, 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 like... I thought we were laughing at it because it's like, oh, isn't that funny that he hates her, but they really are married and in love? I so Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. People at home, friends. Google it. We're not going to Google it. Yeah, we're not going to find out. We're just going to leave it hanging there. It's either, it's my wife, my former girlfriend, former fiance against your former girlfriend and fiance. <laughs> um, are they from, are the Rembrandts from Minnesota or no? I don't know, but at I the height like of, of friends, here's my brush with fame. I went to a music store in downtown Minneapolis. I had to walk through it to get somewhere else. And the Rembrandts were doing a signing. And there was no one at their table. <laughs> this was the height of friends. <laughs> and I felt... So I just walked up and chatted with them for a second. <laughs> so what, how long do you have to be here? You know, like, oh, I don't know. They're looking at their watches. Like, this is amazing. Yeah, I mean, their song was still, like, oh, on the so radio. Popular. And, yeah, so... I guess... I mean, I did, they didn't have a real persona, really. It's just their song. So I, I don't know that seeing them, anyone would even know. So much oh, for the Rembrandts. You're of there course. for me, too. Yeah, no one was there for those two. <laughs> huh? 
Yeah. Uh, All right, let's wrap up. I almost, I I know this is silliness, and I just, I very, I almost put a Rembrandt. I almost in one of my sermons a couple weeks ago was like, you know, your your job's a joke, you're broke, your love life's doa. You know what I'm saying? That'll go over as well as your uh, as your predator line. I say I say these things, and then I look out to Mike in the pews for for his knowing laugh. Or or dis or disapproving. Oh, I never shake my. I'm always with you. He's always jokes. always. He uh, the makes more obscure, the better. I want from you. <laughs> All right, folks. Brush with fame, John Benaperi, a true mensch. This is uh, <laughs> this is like trees walking. Sorry about the silliness, uh, but we will be back with more important topics. So long, everyone. <laughs>